Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintec studio at Rogers Arena. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, it's Friday. We're at Rogers Arena. Canucks getting ready to take on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you know we'll have the post-game show up on the podcast afterwards, but you can also... Listen to the podcast of Hour One, where we talk to Yannick Hansen and also discuss the Canucks acquisition of Ethan Bear, the short and long-term ramifications, and uh, whether or not Ethan Bear will be a fit in Vancouver. But it's now time for the mailbag. Vancouver's favorite music bed for any segment. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> the only thing we're missing is Josh, so he's going to be the voice of God once yes. again. I'm here. Yes. Well, I'm, Josh, at, I'm at the studio. <laughs> Josh is at Master Control. Yeah. Stepped in, uh, did a fine job on Sportsnet today at 2 o'clock today. And uh, he's uh, going to throw out the questions as he always does here on the mailbag. Producer Josh Elliott-Wolf. Yes, so we will start with JL. Do you think the Canucks' third-period problems are more to do with physical fitness, uh, as in overplaying some players, or being mentally fragile? I think it's one of those things where, well, there's many reasons here. Um, And I think a large part of it now is due to the amount of injuries they have, so it's very difficult for them to control play in the way that they would probably like to. But there's an element of confidence and squeezing the stick too hard. That's certainly your butt. That's kind of what it is. And just as as Bruce Boudreaux has put it so often, like trying not to lose, and when you start to do that, that's when things really start to go awry. But even even yesterday, I know the shot clock wasn't pretty for them against Seattle in the third period. Sat. But I felt a lot of that was due to score effects, and for the most part, you know, I know they they the the power plays. Seattle had a couple of chances, but I like I thought they kind of defended well yeah. in the third yeah. period yesterday, for the most part. <laughs> I mean, the bar the bar solo was gone Wait, for about like a seven eight minute stretch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound so bad. But it's like, like, yeah, it's true. There was like. You I mean, know, they almost gave up the tie goal. JT Miller okay. had like sacrifice his leg to I'm, make sure they tie the goal. I, I like. was just saying there was like a ten minute stretch where they like you know didn't allow Seattle much. Yeah, so. I, I don't know if it's about fatigue. Um, if it is, I mean, <laughs> God help them for the rest of the season if they're already exhausted. I know a lot of guys have been taxed already, tough road trip and all that sort of stuff. And I get it. I mean, a lot of minutes for a lot of the bigger players. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been the biggest problem has been you just you're not good enough most nights and. A lot of self-inflicted wounds that are often related to, like you mentioned, the lack of confidence in those critical yeah. moments. Because it seems like every time something goes against them, it kind of snowballs in the third. I, I have a feeling if they do have a third-period lead against Pittsburgh tonight, it uh, it's going to be much of the same, though. Like they they will probably be under siege. You know, one thing that has been a theme, even when they were healthy to start the year. Teams turn it up, and the Canucks uh, don't have much answer for uh, for what teams are throwing at them. Uh, this one from Angra. Why has the team been playing such a passive style this year? Well, we'd like to see them be more aggressive. Yeah, I, you know, I don't even know if the style is trying to be passive. What they've been trying to do is get their forwards to help out with their breakouts a lot more and play a lot deeper to get out of their own zone cleaner and, and help with the transition game. 
and it just has not led to offense. I don't think they're trying to be passive. It's just not happening for them. It is kind of similar to last year where they were working so hard in getting out of their own zone cleanly that it just kind of it got to the points and a lot of you know low percentage shots were happening. They weren't generating enough scoring chances. They weren't able to kind of get down low enough. So I think it's just an inability so far of being able to get their cycle going down low. And a lot of that does come from how far, how much deeper their starting point is, and they've had a hard time transitioning that into zone time. If you're starting deeper, uh, you know, that means you have more ground to make up. One thing, you know, that I think has been evident, they, they just don't recover a lot of their dump-ins either. And, you know, for a team, Bruce Boudreaux's always wanted an aggressive four-check and teams to, to get down low and win pucks. Um, they, they just haven't done enough of that. So it, it's definitely been a transition for the new style that, they, uh, that they've been trying to play. This next one comes from T. Will Bruce Boudreaux make it through the weekend? Yes. Yeah. I Look, I, Patrick Alvin has answered the question a thousand times, and so we're going to talk to him a little bit later on this hour. It, they are – yes, I think it's fair to say that management and coaching don't see eye to eye on everything, but at the same time – I can't imagine management looks at this team and some of the issues that's plagued them in the early part of this season and says that's Bruce Boudreaux's fault. At least not entirely. Especially when these problems have been here longer than Bruce Boudreaux has been here. You, you'd have to be really... Um, You'd have to be really naive to think that these problems lay just at the coach's feet. So Yeah, they, they just have to lose more than what they've lost. They won a game, um, and this is the back-to-back -back against the Pens if this is the game you're judging him on, it, it's an unfair game to judge him on. Yep. So he's going to make it through this. Now, if they lose, say, six or seven of their next seven or eight or nine, yeah, maybe. Now they've given him some, some trade pieces, too. So, yeah, it's not out of the cards, but I think it's definitely still too soon. Because, yes, it's hard to say that people think Bruce Boudreaux has been part of the problem here with the Canucks this early in the season. Vikingstad, what direction do you see management taking with this team realistically, given, given what they've shown? So, I don't think management has ever really lied about what they think of the timeline sat, and that is two to three years is when they are hoping and planning to be a cup contender. Now, that may seem ambitious to some, given what we've seen early on this season. But I felt like that's always sort of been the plan. And that's kind of what Jim Rutherford said from the beginning. It's just they also hinted at their needing to be a step back before they could take maybe those bigger steps forward. And we just haven't seen them take that step back since they came came in. Not yet. Yeah. And I see them taking out a core player here this season at some point. Yeah. That's what I see happening. You see the trades they've made as well with, with the acquisitions. Nobody's a core piece unless Studnika develops into that or, you know, uh, Ethan Bear develops into that or something, but unlikely that they're going to be core pieces for you. But what it does do, it gives you a little bit of more room to make something else happen and move somebody else out of your roster. And I think we're going to see that. I think what the start of this season has shown is that this group isn't it in terms of let's sign Bo to another extension. If Bo's getting signed, somebody's got to be going out the other way. So I think the direction of this franchise is like you mentioned, 
it is about trying to win in two or three years. But that step back or that significant player coming off your roster is probably going to happen at some point this season. Yeah, I see. Uh, <laughs> I see this team continuing to be active, and maybe it's a question mark whether or not they keep Bo Horvat. I think. For me, it makes sense to move the player now, given everything that's happened. But it could go beyond that as well with some of the uh, other higher-priced forwards on the roster. Uh, this one from Five Canucks Thoughts. Which of Horvat, Garland, or Besser are most likely to be traded before the new year? I mean, if we were having to answer one of the names... The, the easiest name to answer is Horvat because of his contract status. I'll say Horvat and Garland. Oh. Those are the two names, I'd say. I'm answering the question. Those are the two names. Garland's cap hit is a bit lower. Um, he does have the extra year on it compared to what uh, Brock Bester does, but he is a, a lesser year, and some of the numbers look good for him, too. So I'd say those two are probably the more likely, most likely ones. Garland had the most uh, ice time of any four, uh, at 5-on-5 five five yesterday. Yeah, and he did well. He did. Good player. Can't believe he was scratched not that long ago. Anyways. Uh, Allen, in the unlikely event that the Canucks decide to explore a JT Miller trade, can the Canucks retain salary on the current contract only, i.e. 50% of this year's salary, with the retention expiring when his new deal kicks in? Uh, I believe you can do that, yes. You can retain on a single year on a deal to make it work, and it goes back to being full freight after that. So, yes, I believe that is possible if they decide to do so. All right, answer question. I learned something today. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> Next. Uh, basketball Phil, what happens first, a Mikey DiPietro Vesna trophy or a Jonathan Myrenberg Norris trophy win? Well, Sad thinks Myrenberg's winning the Norris. Uh, yeah, Myrenberg's uh, – I think he's going to play NHL games. I don't think he's going to win a Norris. What did you make of Alvin's comment that uh, he's five years away? He's not wrong. I mean, he, he's probably realistically four years away from maybe making his NHL appearance. Probably needs this year one more year in Sweden. Yeah. Comes over, bank one year, maybe two years here. About four years – five years for him to make an impact. If everything goes well – in five years, can he play, you know, solid minutes for you? I think that's kind of – I don't think that's incorrect. He's more of a longer-term project. And we talked about this yeah, about yeah. him. Even when we discussed him and, and how high I am on him, and I was like, he's a longer-term play. Same thing with Forcell to some degree, but be excited. Well, be encouraged by what he's done, and let's not overlook him. He's an asset for this team. You can look at it one way, too, and say, yeah, he's enough of an asset that you're able to trade and get something for him. Some picks you can't yeah. even do that for. But – um I think he's right about that. And what it says is it doesn't fit with the timeline of them trying to win within three to four years. Not to say that it doesn't matter, but when you look at the needs this team has and you look at if you're going to keep Hughes and guys like Patterson, then, yeah, a guy who might be good for you in five years isn't going to be high, high on your priority list. The, the thing on uh, Di Pietro, too, is, like, yeah – he had a really tough go here in Vancouver. That North Division year, yeah. really raw deal he got from the from the Canucks, and how they kept him along on the taxi squad and didn't sign a, a veteran goalie to be that sort of player for this this club. But it is what it is. Relationship we know never really fully recovered. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talent there mm -hmm. in the player, but 
he's also going to have a hard time just speaking with some Boston reporters today. You know, there's no easy path to games for him in Boston either. So, you know, I, I, I hope the best for the kid because I know, you know, he's, he's a talented player and, and a good kid at that. He's always been a fun interview as well. Yeah, and I mean, I'm with you. He didn't really get the chance he probably needed to play enough games a couple years ago. But he also, given the time and the chances he got last year, wasn't able to really yes. establish himself either. And it's been a good environment for him to be in with Ian Clark, Curtis Sanford, of course, you work with. So uh, there were a lot of opportunities last year as well, and he wasn't really able to separate himself. And Arthur Sidlov, despite not playing as much, has obviously usurped him in the organizational depth chart. At best, he's probably a guy who plays a few games in NHL for you as the season goes on here and there, and if everything aligns, is a backup for you. And considering he wanted out and the other guys they have in front of him, it was about time for him to go somewhere else. But I'm not envisioning a Vesna. I'm not envisioning anybody who has traded the past 24, 48 hours, Dan, to win any major hardware <laughs> in their futures. No. Outside of uh, winning a Stanley Cup if they're on the right team. But we love basketball, Phil. Get creative with his questions. Yeah. Uh, this from Jazzy. If Ethan Bear works out well, how much would he be worth for his next contract? Well, what, what's, what's, what's works out well? Um, he plays top four minutes and looks like he can play the part. No, if you're, I just don't. I know he would be and will be arbitration eligible, and he does have some decent counting stats, so that doesn't work in the Canucks' favor. He probably sort of gets into the three million dollar range if if he plays really well. Yeah, I mean he's got to play really well for that to happen. Um, I think the most likely thing if he does acquit himself fairly well and they like him is that he signs a contract at a lower hit than what he's getting paid. Right. That's what I think is the most likely outcome if he ends up staying. Um, if he plays really well, I guess, and it really explodes, then yes, to your point, it's going to be over $3 million. But if they like him and want to give him a chance, and given how much he's moved around and if he wants some stability to make it happen, it's probably in his best interest to sign another deal here and stay in the, in the same spot. And he's the type of guy you could probably get signed for under his qualifying offer because he's not getting $2 million on the open market. Yeah. Do you think, uh, do you think Ethan Bear could play with Quinn Hughes? Uh... Could I don't know if that's the bet. I'd rather see him with OEL. Right. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, especially if OEL, you know, if he if he can't move as well, yeah, if he's not getting up and down the ice as much. At least you have a guy that can do some of that in Ethan Bear, and not as chaotic as playing alongside Tyler Myers. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty chaotic playing with OEL right now. <laughs> but I just don't know if it plays into Ethan. I mean, you can try him with Hughes, sure. I mean, why yeah. not? Right. It's just. If he's the type of guy that's going to be wandering at times, that's not the type of guy you want to be playing with. Quite. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, so thing is, I, th- I think maybe uh, we are, including myself, maybe overplaying what Ethan Bear could be worth next year. And uh, if it is true, as Rick Dollywell talked to his agent today, this was Bear's first choice on destination in trade. It makes a lot of sense. Feels like a really good fit for him. So maybe that is... Uh, one of those things where a player will choose some stability over looking for a bigger contract. Uh, last Canucks one. Drew, pie in the sky, but say if the Canucks had the number one pick and they take Bedard, would you trade Elias Pettersson for the number two or three pick to take Adam Fantilli as well? No. No, pr- probably not. I mean, 
I'm all for retooling and getting yeah. a bunch of picks. And if you do take a longer term view, you can't have all your players being 18, 19 years old coming up. Like you need to have a few guys that are a few years older. I'm not talking about 30 year olds. I'm not, you know, I'm not on the go get the JB goals and sign the Louis Erickson's and all that sort of stuff. But we're talking about a 23 year old player here, right? Like we're talking about a guy 23, 24 who is just going to be entering the prime of his career and still be in his prime when Connor Bedard in a couple years is going to be ready to really take off with this Canucks team. I wouldn't do that. If you really want to maximize and win with guys, you can't have everybody be the same age range. You need to have some layers, and especially with your star high-end players. I love that Drew's thinking like uh, Brian Burke, you know, at the at the 99 draft, just being able to, like, go out and make these trades for second and third overall picks. But reality is, like, those those picks do not move unless they had been moved prior to the draft. Yeah. Right? Like, think about what top five picks – have moved in recent years. Bowen Byram with Colorado. That was Ottawa's pick. Uh, San Jose, the pick they sent uh, to Ottawa, ended up being... Stutzla. Stutzla, right? Or Sanderson. Sanderson, yeah. Sanderson. Uh, San- still that was, yeah, that was a fifth pick. We're fifth talking overall. about... Yeah, and, but those didn't happen. They didn't trade the fifth overall pick. They yeah. traded picks that ended up becoming... The fifth overall, pick. even uh, you know Kessel to the uh, to the Leafs, right? The they, didn't, they didn't plan on giving Boston Boston the second overall pick. It, it just, became the second it overall. Became pick. the second. Overall you don't pick. usually see those picks kind of get traded. I mean, could you get it for Pedersen? Probably. I mean, he's good enough for for you to do that. Yeah. But I, that's not the move I'd be looking to make. But the way, even still, like yes, Pedersen's an incredible player. But if you are the acquiring team, you have to think about, oh, I'm, I'm about to have to pay this guy 10 and a half, 11 million bucks, or I yeah. can take this potential superstar in an entry-level deal. Well, that's depending on where you are in your yeah. cycle, right? So uh, those are those are questions that would arise in that hypothetical scenario, that very hypothetical It all depends scenario. on who's picking in the top five. That's what it comes down to. Uh, if that were to happen, just be over the moon that the Canucks had a chance of taking Connor Bedard. Yeah. True. That's what I would say. This next one from Vicky. If you have to describe each of the following as candy bars slash treats, who would be what and why? So it's you guys, Reach and Sat, Bick, Randeep, Halford and Bruff, <laughs> Jamie, and Dom. Okay, so let's start with... Uh... Okay, I'm calling Bruff, the Sad Club Commission, a crunchy bar. Crunchy bar? Because he's always... <laughs> He's always a little bit crunchy. Yeah. All right. That, that bruff. All right. I, I'd say Mike Halford is a Jolly Ranger. <laughs> rancher? Jolly Rancher? Jolly Rancher. Jolly Ranger. Ranger. Jolly Ranger. Rancher, right. Jolly Rancher. Josh, you've got to decide what me and Zad are. As, as uh, I'll, sure. I'll think on it. I'll think on it. Okay. One second. Uh, what's Ran- Randeep? Um, Randeep's got to be something spicy. Is there a spicy? Uh, he's like a he's a he's a hot tamale. Hot tamale? All right. That's Randeep. He's a hot tamale. Well, Which is the most disgusting candy on the planet, by the way. Yeah. So oh. I feel bad for Randy. What's Dom? What, what is Dom Shramati then? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, poor Dom. <laughs> uh, Dom Shramati is a. Uh, it's a little Hungarian treat. It's called Turorudi. That's that's what Dom is. I don't even know what that is. I have, just because he's probably. Hungarian. Yeah. All so. right. Uh, so. Well, we got we got to do Bick first and Jamie, then we'll get to yeah, those. Okay. All right. So uh, what's Bick Nazar? <sighs> Bick's a wonder bar. Wonder bar? Yeah. Why is he a wonder bar? Because he's just full of wonder. What? Have you guys done sat yet? 
Not yet. We have We're not getting yet. to. Where is Bic coming from? <laughs> yeah. Well, Hold on. How? Uh, My solution for Sat is score <laughs> because he's inviting on the outside, but betrayal on the inside. Ooh, ooh, betrayal on the inside. Wow, I like that. Why is score? It looks it looks so delicious. Score and is then great. you get like the the tough toffee on the inside. It's it's the chocolate looks so delicious, and yet. Uh, Oh man, why are you hating on the score bar? No, but like basically, it's, what, it's, what, it's rough on the teeth. Yeah, but basically, what, what Bick is essentially saying is people think Sat's a nice guy, but he's a jerk. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's what he's saying. <laughs> All right, about. <laughs> By God, that's Big Nazar's music. <laughs> uh, up the top rope. All right, um, Jamie. Jamie. Jamie Dodd. He is the most simple of candy bars. A Snickers. He's a simple man. Simple you know? man couple of kids yeah. living that dad life nobody's got a snickers bar yet although the interesting thing about jamie as uh, people who have uh, followed the sportsnet twitter and instagram accounts recently and get all the nice video clips loves himself the deep v-neck it's true oh. <laughs> yeah he loves the v-neck you know what because he's a not just the v the deep v-neck yeah. he's a smart guy so maybe he's a smart sweet mm. he's yeah. a smart sweets yeah maybe Okay. Yeah, he's the lawyer of the bunch. I was uh, so I would say for you guys, so Reach. Yep. Ferrer Ferrero Rocher. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That feels right. <laughs> yep. And then uh, Sat a Galaxy Bar. Have you heard of that? <laughs> what is a Galaxy <laughs> Bar? I don't know. I've seen it before, and then I uh, it's like a smooth milk chocolate bar. Yeah, I but seen the a Galaxy, Galaxy Bar, bar just because of space, man. Space. Yeah, you could have said Mars too. Mars. That one works too. <laughs> But Galaxy is fine. Dom is an airhead is what somebody texted it. <laughs> an arrow, you mean? Arrow bar? No, airhead were old candies. I don't know if they're still around. Yeah. Airheads. That's good. That's a good call. Dan is rockets. Uh, oh, that's terrible. Nobody likes rockets. I don't want to be that guy. Well, aren't rockets I'm... different in the States? No, Smarties are different in the States. Are they? Well, Smarties, how are they Smarties are rockets in the States. Oh, weird. And like the same bar or same like branding as rockets it just says smarties i believe i believe that's the switch i'd like to think of myself as the old fusion bar because there's times where i uh you know fuse two languages together and it really upsets people around here so <laughs> do you remember the old fu fusion bar it was a great candy bar that's i don't know right. why it's gone it's all right twix we don't have any twins otherwise we could say somebody's a twix <laughs> <laughs> kit kat bar who's kit kat bar who likes cats? Isn't it Jamie? Maybe it is Jamie. What would Brendan Batchelor be? Anyways. We'll let the text box decide. Uh, next one. <laughs> Moving yes. on. Uh, Matt Nabby. What's the largest animal you've seen in real life? This is the last one. We'll end on this. Uh, an elephant. Yeah. I At a zoo. I saw a dinosaur once. Don't think it was alive. <laughs> yeah. You sure? Yeah, well, 90%. You saw an elephant at a zoo. Huh. All right, I'll, I'll say I was golfing in Mission, and a black bear just started running through the fairway. Is that the biggest animal you've seen? A black yeah. bear? Really? You haven't I seen mean, a at moose least before? A, uh, no, I haven't seen a moose. Really? You've never seen a moose? No. I've seen a moose. Those those things are Have massive. I seen a moose? Massive. I don't think I've seen a moose. I've seen the big statues of moose, but nope. <laughs> Can't say I've seen one before. Um. Yeah, I would say that black bear. It was a big black bear. Big black bear. It was. It was, it was quite la quite large. 
Deer? Deer are quite big. I hit a. I once got into a car accident. Hit a little deer. It was you hit a little deer. Yeah. We tried to swerve out of the road, like out of the way. And Did it make it? No, no, it didn't. It's tough. Man, I don't know about that. That's sad. It was very sad. Why'd you break that on me right now? I don't know, man. I was just, we were talking about it. And I, I like it brings back old feelings. <laughs> me feeling bad for this this deer. <laughs> Buried it deep down inside. Wait, wait. Did well, you, wait, the, was the it, was mother like deer, like, jumped over the Oh, he was the with, a, with the mother? Yeah. Oh, my God. They were, like, running across the road in the dark, and they just, like, you know, the mother, like, jumps over the hood of the car. This is so depressing. It was quite large. It was, like, very large. And uh, then we swerve out of the way and, and hit uh, one of the baby deer. It was very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel this very sound, bad about this it. It sounds like still. a scene out of Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very bad about it. Anyways. Oh, man. I, I should not have been talking about I that. I don't know why no. you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> you completely ruined the mood right now. I'm sorry. Uh, coming up. Thanks, Josh. Great question. <laughs> that was Matt Nabby's question. <laughs> Thanks, Matt Nabby. Now I'm going to go, like, cry for a bit now that I've remembered this deep-down memory. Um, all right. Coming up, we'll get more in on the Canucks and Penguins, but... We also get a chance to have an exclusive chat with Patrick Alvine. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah on Canuck Central.